This is Cave Syed, co-producer of Rustbell Abolition Radio. You're tuning into Michigan's Kinross Prison Strike, Reflections from the Inside, an exclusive archive of audio interviews with people currently incarcerated in Michigan who witnessed and lived through the historic September 2016 prison strike. In this segment, we hear the voice of Harold Gonzalez. Abolitionist intellectual Harold Gonzalez is currently in prison at Baraga Maximum Security Correctional Facility. Like several hundred others, he was hit with an incite to riot or strike ticket in the aftermath of events of September 2016 at Kinross Correctional Facility. We spoke with Harold after he spent nearly eight months in solitary confinement, which Michigan Department of Corrections euphemistically calls administrative segregation. As you will hear, Harold was released from the hole thanks to a calling campaign by outside supporters. He begins by telling us what sparked the work stoppage and protests at Kinross. It's basically protesting, you know, the treatment that we suffered at the hands of the Michigan Department of Corrections. Long-term segregation, the STG program, long indeterminate sentences, sentencing guidelines. Some kind of way I was made the de facto spokesperson for the inmate population. That came about by, you know, I don't know how much people know about a riot in prison, uh, but it's probably one of the most scariest things you'll ever be involved in. Uh, there were a lot of people who uh, didn't want to be out there, but when a prison goes crazy, you really you pretty much go with the flow or, or you get rolled over, basically. So a lot of people participated out of fear. You know, inmates were, were angry and upset, and they, and they wanted support, and they were going to get it. You were going to support them. You was either going to be with them or you weren't. So a lot of people ended up out there who didn't really want to be out there. They came to me and asked me, well, it had really got out of control, even for the people who planned the riot. It had got out of control. They wanted it to be a protest. Well, not a riot. I'm going to quit calling it a riot. Uh, they planned a protest, and they wanted it to be peaceful and on the intellectual and open an intellectual dialogue with the administration uh, to better the conditions. And it worked because prior to that, the day before that, we had a work stoppage uh, where everybody, nobody went to work. And that, that alerted the administration, but the administration was, I, I guess I could say, compliant because... They didn't write the tickets at that time. They hadn't wrote anybody any tickets or nothing. I mean, they was willing to communicate, but well, as far as, like, the warden go. But the officers and the staff there had a different opinion. They were upset about it, and they got abusive, and they started mistreating us and, 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 and malnourishing us, feeding us, spoiled food and things like that, which incited the inmates to get angry, which incited a whole other set of inmates, an aggressive set of inmates. It really sparked off the 9-10-16 incident where they just rebelled and came out on the yard and wanted to hold the protests out on the yard. And subsequently, the aggressive inmates got a lot of them guys out there to fear. The guys who were out there, the leaders, uh, or the guys who planned the protests and the guys who were scared asked me would I be the spokesperson for the, the inmate population with the, with, the, with the administration. I told them I, I would do it if I... Uh, but first, I had to talk to the aggressive inmates uh, because I, I didn't want to really be a part. I didn't really want this to turn ugly. So if, if the aggressive inmates agree to, you know, tone it down or whatever, or just go with what whatever we come up with through this dialogue with the administration, if they agreed to go with it, then I would do it. Talk to the, the aggressive inmates. They agreed to let me, allow me to speak their truths. I talked to the warden who asked me if I could get everybody to go in, and then he would call me up there along with the unit representatives to discuss the issues or whatever. I did that. I went and got everybody to go in. I went to control center and I talked to the warden. We actually had a good conversation. He was pliable, and well, at least on the surface, he was pliable. 
and and then they 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 after the meeting was over, they sent me back to the unit. Everybody was in their cells. Everybody was calm. Everybody was on their bunks because it was a count situation. So everybody was on their bunks. Nobody was loud, but boisterous or whatever. Everybody was compliant. And uh, I went around and I was walking around the block to tell everybody what the dis- what the discussion was. And next thing you know, they sent in the ERT team. They sent in the emergency response team, which precipitated, you know, a lot of guys who hadn't been involved in this type of stuff before or ever seen this type of stuff before took that as an aggressive move. They didn't really understand what they were doing or whatever. They ran in with guns, helmets, pads, shields, threw just on the compound, not into the units initially, but they ran on the compound, running towards units. And, it, and guys panicked, and that's when they, they kind of, like, lost it. But the, the emergency response teams did just as much damage as the inmates did just on when they did come in the units, but they blamed that on the inmates too. But for finally, they gassed us repeatedly over and over again, even when nobody wasn't doing anything. But finally, when they got us to walk outside the unit, put us in cuffs, they put us on buses and rode us to different facilities. Uh, I was among inmates who went to uh, Marquette uh, Maximum Security Facility. They opened up a condemned block to put 102 of us in a condemned block, in a block that had previously been condemned for for four years. It was um, it was filthy. It was it was pretty much kind of you know just to let you imagine. They tell you what what the conditions were like. There I stayed there. Well, at the at, at the onset of that, two days after we were there, they came and got me and uh, separated me from the rest of the inmates. They put me in another block called E Block and told me that I was a uh, I guess I was being dubbed as the the leader of the riot or whatever. They they didn't bring me my property or give me a property receipt. When I requested, you know, a property receipt and, and my property, they told me they didn't have any property for me. Uh, so I didn't have any hygiene or anything like that. And when I asked, requested for hygiene and things like that, the, the a sergeant actually came to my cell because I had to write a grievance to, to try to get some hygiene. A sergeant actually came to my cell and told me, uh, you're the leader of the riot, you don't have anything coming. I stayed there 27 days without any of that stuff, and uh, they sent me to me and 88 more prisoners. They sent us to Berga Maximum Correctional Facility here, where I reside now. They still separated me from the rest of the inmates. They shut down a whole block, a GP block, and made it a a segregation block. But they wouldn't. They didn't allow me over there. They put me in another segregation block where. When I first got over there, uh, the first thing the officers told the, the, the other officers and the warden, because he was there, I guess, to, to talk to me or whatever, was that I was the leader of the riot. He called me in his office. He, uh, he heard I was the leader of the riot, and I don't, I shouldn't expect anything while I'm here. Uh, they put me in a cell. They gave me a sheet, one sheet, for 12 days. I was in a room with one sheet. Uh, I had to write a grievance to get blankets, towels, washcloths, uh, to be able to go to the store. They denied me store for 47 days, so I couldn't buy cosmetics or anything like that. They didn't give me any clothes uh, except for one jumpsuit for, the, for for like the whole 47 days. I didn't have a one jumpsuit. I didn't have any laundry bags, so I couldn't turn in laundry. So I initially, I just, I mean, I followed the process. I wrote grievances on everything, and that's the process they basically have me do for anything I want while I've been here, is, uh, if, if, even if I'm supposed to have it. They make me have to write a grievance. I have to go all the way through the grievance process, which could take up to 30 days to find some kind of resolution. But they can play with me for that whole 30 days. They can deny me whatever it was. Basically, that's what they do to me now. I still haven't gotten my property. They, they, my property's still missing. I wrote 
to the, I followed the steps and wrote to the Office of Legal Affairs, sent them my receipts, uh, or the receipts that I, I had. I sent, but they got a record of everything that you order anyway on the computer, and I asked them to just look at everything that I was supposed to have on my property on the computer. Uh, that was six months ago. I haven't heard anything from them. Uh, they, I hear now that it, 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 it probably will take probably two years before they'll be able to reimburse me for anything like that. Uh, since being here at this facility, uh, they didn't want to let me out of the hole. When, when I guess on May 1st, they, the, the Lansom had said that they were supposed to let all the Kim Ross prisoners out of the hole. They didn't want to let me out of the hole. Uh, I had to have actually have people call up here, and it worked. They basically came to me and told me that because people called up here, they were going to let me out with the rest of the inmates. I was called down to the counselor's office, and I went to see what's called the SEC board. And the SEC board is basically security classification board, and they decide. And at the security classification here, I had went down there previously to that on a Monday, and they told me I wasn't getting out of the hole. They called me back on Friday, which is unusual, but they called me back and told me uh, the deputy warden, it was a deputy warden and a lieutenant who told me that they were going to let me out. They said, uh, this was the exact words, they said, I'm quite sure you've heard that we're about to let all the people out from Ken Ross, and uh, we're going to, uh, he said, uh, I'm quite sure you know that because of the amount of calls we've been getting about you, we're going to let you out. And he said if it was up to him, he wouldn't be letting me out, but he's going to let me out. And this was the thing, they said they were going to let me out, but it might take a couple days because they had to prepare for me. I didn't know what that meant. I finally found out uh, on May 1st when they decided to let me out. They brought me, they came to my cell and told me I was getting out, but the, the counselor, uh, the, 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 the ARUS, that's the uh, uh, assistant regular unit supervisor, he brought me a piece of paper and told me I had to sign this piece of paper to get out of the hole. So I told him, let me read the piece of paper. I looked at the piece of paper and it was a paper telling me was saying that I, I willingly give up my rights to regular movement uh, to be placed in, in what they call an integration rock. If you want to put me on an integration rock, why do I have to sign and agree to be put on an integration rock? What if I don't want to be on an integration rock? He told me it's the only way I was going to be out of the hole. I was going to be able to get out of the hole. It's an unusual practice. It's, it's not supposed to happen. The integration rock is for people who seek and pr protect their custody. Uh, you should never mix the general population prisoners with a protective custody prisoner but you covering yourself by having to sign this paper like we signed for for protective custody but he told me i wouldn't i wouldn't be able to get out of the hole uh unless i signed the paper i attempted to sign on the paper i'm signing the paper under duress just to get out of the hole he told me i couldn't do that but i had him write on the paper in a little shorthand or whatever that prisoner is requesting to be put on a, a general population rock as soon as possible then when I, they brought me on the, the little protective custody rock, I, I immediately wrote a grievance. I wrote a kite saying that I wanted to get off, and I immediately wrote a grievance saying that I wanted to get off, that uh, they shouldn't have put me on, on a protective custody rock uh, with protective custody prisoners against my will. It's a dangerous practice for them to do, but these are the type of things that they do. They play with policy and procedure to the point where they can, they can cover themselves when they do this kind of stuff. I mean, they're crafty. This is the monster we're living with. Really, basically, with the inmate population, uh, the Kim Ross prisoners got more respect uh, for standing up for, for, for the bad rights of the prison. So, really, it didn't work. They scheme didn't work. I was respected. I'm respected. And uh, I'm even looked up to. But these are the type of games they play with me. Uh, they bring you your meals. In level five, you, they bring you all your meals. They bring them to you on a cart in a tray. They bust a slot and they give you your meals in a slot. 
uh, when I first got over here, one of the officers initially told me, uh, oh, yeah, we had to let you out. They had to let you out. But uh, let's see how you like your meals from now on. Which really, like, made me scared to eat. I mean, to live up under a condition where you're at the mercy uh, of those who have no mercy in you, have more, no mercy in them, uh, is it's like a terrifying thing. I mean, every day, you, I mean, your anxiety is, is at an all-time high because you don't know what they're going to come with next. I mean, just from the, the, the compilation of things that I, I went through since the incident, the, the retaliatory behavior and the discriminatory harassment that I've been subjected to is, uh, while physically, I mean, I'm not harmed other than I'm scared to eat. I won't eat. Mental and emotional trauma that you go through in this type of situation, I mean, can become overwhelming. Uh, I'm pretty much a pragmatic and analytical kind of guy. And I, I try, even with myself, I try to see the results of what they do to me, uh, how it's affecting my mental. I actually sit back and try, it's, it's a crazy kind of dichotomy because I'm actually trying to uh, rationalize and, and self-treat myself on on the things that this thing is doing to me. And it's, uh, I mean, like it's overwhelming. It's, 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 it's like a little too much, you know what I'm saying? But I come rough or smooth, surely I must bear it. I mean, like, what else can I do? I have to, but I know it's having effects on me. I know me, you know what I'm saying? I know how I used to think. I know how I used to correlate with people and things like that. And it's, it's causing me to uh, become really antisocial, uh, to be angry. And I'm talking about, like, I got so much now. It, I'm like, it's not even anger no more. It's rage because it's like you feel powerless. You can't do anything. And you're a man, you know what I'm saying? You, you're a man. And, you know, as a man, you want to be able to, uh, depend on yourself to be able to come through whatever kind of situation, you know what I'm saying? And they, 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 they whole goal is to like render you impotent, to make you feel, to not just to render you impotent, but to make you feel less than a man, you know what I'm saying? And uh, that's just on a regular inmate. That's just without all these other circumstances. But when they're really trying to put their foot down, you know, when they're really trying to print that on you, if they believe that you're rebellious or whatever, they, they go through all kind of scurvy means to break you. And and that's basically the the best word I can use. They're trying to break me right now for an inmate who never really wanted to be involved in this in the first place. You know what I'm saying? Who never really, I didn't have anything to do with the planning of it or anything, and I actually ended it peacefully to be dubbed as a, a malicious radical or whatever. I'm treated like a terrorist. I mean, and with the current way our government propaganda is being put out there, I mean, it's acceptable, and you can see it in here. You can see the effect of the Trump propaganda, the nationalist, the autocracy mentality. You can see how it affects, and it's literally affecting the minds of the staff here to where they feel like now they have every right to do it. Now they covered. Thanks for listening. You can hear more voices from this report by visiting michiganabolition.org. This collection of interviews was produced by Rust Belt Abolition Radio with the help of MAPS, Michigan Abolition and Prisoner Solidarity. Original music by Bad Infinity.